You're listening to the Simple Growth Podcast, the show that helps business owners get their life back. Here's your host, Mike Callahan. It was a good eight to 12 months where if you're going to make it, in my opinion, you really got to dedicate the time and be there for them. Because uh, candidly, the first two attempts at this, I failed miserably because I wasn't there to support a mentor and I wasn't there to give them the guidance they needed. So if you're going to commit to it, you got to commit to it 100% and let them shadow you and see the wins and losses. I agree. And, that's an, and it, it's an expensive process because it feels potentially more uh, effective to just, or in terms of more cost effective to bring them in and sort of throw them out there and say, hey, take over all these things. But there's this massive amount of knowledge that has to be transferred. And to transfer that knowledge, they've got to hang out with you in the office, they've got to hang out with you in the field, they've got to see how things are done, they've got to learn the culture, they've got all these things to learn. Fastest way to transfer that knowledge is time, your time investment in them. So before you make this transition, be prepared to spend some money to have them feel somewhat ineffective because they're following you around working with you. And I'll add one last thing and then we'll wrap that. So initially when they're following you or hanging out with you, you're sort of doing everything, okay? They're just shadowing. And then eventually there's activities that you're doing and activities they're doing. So you're working together in a sense and some of the things you might, like maybe let's use a sales call for example. Historically you did the sales call and they shadowed. Well now you both are talking to the client, just for an example here. And then a few weeks from now, they're just talking to the client and you're the one in a sense shadowing and just offering a mentorship here and there. So you think about that three-step transition. Initially they're watching, then you're both working on whatever the role encompasses and then eventually they're for the most part doing everything and you're just shadowing them. When you get to that place, they're probably ready to go. And just to add that, one of the biggest learning curves I guess the last jump was to understand that if they get to the final destination, um, they're not always going to get to the destination the exact same way you're going to, so you've got to understand that sometimes to hit that final goal, uh, as long as they get there and they, they, they receive the goals or the goals they need to get there, um, it doesn't have to be the same exact way you do it once they get the end result yeah, the metrics. Sure. So that was the biggest problem in my transition right there. I was trying to allow that person to get their own way to that final goal. Yeah. Uh, the other question is, everybody talks about marketing for leads. With the uh, with the the H two B problems, are you marketing for employees? And if so, how are you doing it? Okay, uh, yeah. So whether we're, so, this year is pretty significant in that many companies are having a major problem getting their visas through Cap One or Cap Two of the H two B program, especially Cap One, and uh, so it's putting most of us in a crisis mode to recruit. So my prediction, I'll just, this isn't the question, I'm gonna to predict to you right now, wages are going to be very high this year. Like they are going to be significant. And um, you didn't ask this question, but if your pricing is not right, this year is going to be extraordinarily painful for a tremendous number of companies, because I don't think we're ever going, I think this is gonna be the most dramatic year, at least since I've been in business, in terms of having your team members picked off by competing companies and competing companies running advertisements to recruit at unbelievable wages. Um, in many cases, you take some of the large companies right now that are in a do or die situation, um, there will be companies out there will pay whatever they have to pay just to keep the client base that they've spent years and years building, whether or not they turn a profit or not for the year. So my prediction is wages are gonna be extraordinarily high. So you have to be a recruiting machine. So outside of normally the normal or the problem we're experiencing right now with H2B, if you use that type of labor, and if you don't use H2B, you're not protected from this. Because everybody that didn't get their H2B people, or they're getting their people late, they are going to be scrambling to find people and they're gonna be paying. 
So you might say to yourself, hey, I'm not hurt by this whole H2B thing. You're wrong. You're going to get hurt this year in the sense that you are going to be paying more and your people are going to be picked off. And so that means every single company, if they want to be successful, has to become a recruiting machine. And really that's the magic anyway to building a bigger business these days. It's more about being better at recruiting than it is marketing. Because the name of the game now is about getting people to do all the work that's available. More, the work's easy to get. The hard thing is to get people to do the work. Every company shares that problem. So not, not just because of H2B Visa, but for all these other reasons, we really have to be as companies focusing on recruiting. So I know that wasn't quite the question. Right. So the question is, when the question around should you be marketing? Uh, should you be marketing towards employee uh, towards hiring employees? Yeah. So I had to give you that whole thing because I think everybody needs to be thinking about this. And yeah, I think exactly the way you think. And I know you'll have a bunch to chime in on this because you're good at or dealing with the perspective that people are shrinking. We're seeing it yeah. already. And, and you're going to really see it come March and April. Like companies are a lot of companies are oblivious to the problem that they're about to face right now because they think they're shielded from this because they're not using H two B. This will spin off. Joaquin wants to know, once you have your operations under control and you've got everybody in place, what should you be doing? What's your most important position as the owner? Okay, so a little bit different question. Okay, yeah, let me come back to that one then. Let's okay. finish this other one. So um, so what the way to be thinking about um, recruiting is you need you think about marketing. What do you do to get a client? You're, you're putting out door hangers. You're putting out postcards. You're possibly knocking on doors. You're taking, if you're aggressive and you're growing, you're taking massive action from a marketing standpoint to go get clients, but the majority of companies are not taking the same massive action to go get employees, when reality is getting employees is the bigger problem than getting clients. So everything you've learned and thought about, studied regarding marketing, and all the different methods that you would use to go get a team member, you want to use those exact same methods to go get team members. Or I think I said that wrong. That you used to go get a client. You want to use those same things to get team members. So where do your team members live? Where do they work? Where do they go to church? What are they doing? You don't wait for them to find you. I mean, you you clearly run marketing and try to get them to to come to you. But you also go to them, just like you'd go to a client, put a door hanger on the door. You do the exact same thing to get team members. You go where they are and you recruit them. Where they live, where they transact, where they go to church, where they do shopping, all of that stuff. And you get really aggressive business cards, postcards, referral bonuses, cash bonuses, anything you can imagine, it should all be on the table because that's what it's going to take to sustain the business you've already got and then grow through the labor crisis that we're having. Yeah, and I think most people that think they're protected aren't using the H-E-B program, but those are the people most at risk because they're not feeling the pain yet. And to build upon what you said, going out to places where those employees are at, uh, the thing that we add on top of that is basically painting the before and after states so where they're at right now. What are they feeling? What are the hardships? So maybe they're not getting paid on time. Maybe they're not getting uniforms. Maybe they're using old broken equipment. What are the things they don't like about the where they're at now? Let's paint the after position where they're at in your organization and, and show them we can get you from here to there. So we're not just saying, hey, it's a $12 an hour job mowing lawns. We're going to paint how we're going to make the lifestyle better and bring them where they're at now and make it better. So it has to be emotionally selling, so especially for millennials. Um, these guys and girls aren't going to work forever. So we need to, uh, in one place, we've got to really go out and sell it as a place to work along with the lifestyle they want. And being able to show those lifestyle options where they're at now, where they want to be, um, that's been really successful with us. So we've changed the whole way we actually go out and find employees. We're constantly selling why we're a good place and how we align with what their end goals are in life. 
It was, so y'all answered a ton of questions with oh, yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this person wants to know, and you were talking about recruiting, so yeah. it kind of answers that, but he wants to know as the owner, once you get your operations intact and you have everybody in place operationally, what's the most important job for the owner? Sales, marketing, what What should you as the owner be doing? So I would, uh, no easy, so the question is, in case you couldn't hear that very well, what's the most important role for the owner to be doing once you have operations in place? I don't think there's any like, cookie cutter answer. Uh, you you might have heard me talk about uh, this concept of Colby before. If you don't know what that is, look up a guy by the name of Jason Cuff. Um, he's an expert in Colby. But Colby's this way of looking at yourself and looking at your team members and understanding how they're wired at their core level and what in way what their gifts are and where they get energy and all these different things and i know that all may sound very out there or random and it doesn't make any sense but there's a broader point here and that broader point is that we're all wired differently i have a set of skills that are i'm really strong in that might be different from mike's mike's got strengths i don't have and i want to make sure that i'm operating in a place where my strengths are being used every day and then I'm kind of operating at my peak energy level because I'm living in my strengths and I'm doing what I'm just naturally gifted to do. Mike needs to be doing the same thing. So to answer your question, you've got to sort of know what your gift is, what the thing you're good at is, what the thing is that gives you energy, the thing that when you wake up in the morning, it's not a total beat down to imagine you're about to have to do this stuff throughout the day. And then after you live in that mode and do these activities, come the end of the day, while it might've been a hard day, you don't go home so beat down and exhausted that you are done with your business that you're tired with it. So the trick here in figuring out what you should be doing is figuring out where your passion is, where your energy comes from, where your gifts are at, and that might be sales, it might be improving processes within the company, it might be leading the team, it might be imagining the future and the vision of where you're going, it might be building a network of team members, it can be any number of things, but you've gotta figure out where you should be living inside the company and you have to gravitate towards that. And there's no way we can answer that for you. Um, and you gotta to gravitate towards it and then you build a team around you to do all those other things that are not your areas of expertise and gifts and energy and such. It's a great perspective. And once you figure out what the thing that you are really good at, then we need to go out and figure out what the other things that you're not strong at. We need to constantly go out and recruit and find those individuals to fit those pieces. So even if your strong suit is managing the guys and girls in the field, that's fine. Go out and find the other positions that are gonna make the business and be able to scale. So that was a great answer. But I think going out to find the other pieces that complement you at that point is where you're going to really go out and grow the business at that point. Uh, this one's more towards you, Jonathan. Uh, you have always said that you like the idea of staying nimble as a company. Does this H2B issue push you to expand into less seasonal services, service lines like plumbing or electrical, anything like that? Mm, in time, probably, but yes, not yet. But yes, I, I think that... Um, I think things like this, while very painful and frustrating and uh, scary, are the exact things that make us move forward and take big leaps in life and in business. It's, uh, it's easy to talk about risks that are coming, that we're facing, and it's easy to talk about these worries we have and say, hey, we're going to be proactive and fix this, but transformation comes from disaster in my mind, or it comes from major problems. And so usually these are the events, while painful and terrible and frustrating, that make, uh, lead to big leaps inside the business. So yes, I imagine a scenario for many of us where we, uh, we go through a season of pain and on the other side of this, we say, how in the world am I gonna protect myself and what I've built from ever having to go through this experience again? 
And uh, from that, one of the answers is a diversification, potentially both diversification, and generally that's gonna be diversification in service lines, so that you can go after a different type of team member, uh, maybe a non-seasonal team member, that's, that's a big part of the answer here. So yeah, I think, if you, and uh, there's another part to this, if you think about the future that we're moving into, in a, in a state of constant disruption that I believe we're gonna really start to see in, in about five years, um, we're already seeing it now, we're, some of us are a little oblivious to it, but we're, we're already living in that world, it's gonna speed up. So we don't know how any of the service lines that we're offering, selling right now, will be disrupted or reimagined by money coming into our industries that we've never competed with before. And so I think you have to think from a diversity standpoint, how can I protect my business? Where's the future? What, tech, what technology might do to the industries I'm serving now? and you've got to think about where you might want to uh, take your company in the long term, and that might mean that you're not just a lawn care company, you're not just a cleaning company, you're not just a pool company, it might mean this diversification into different service industries. Yeah, along with that diversification, we uh, basically align with different subcontractors to take some of their risk out as well. Mm -hmm. We're better suited for those offshoot uh, ancillary services, so that's helped along with the labor crunch as well. Uh, Colin wants to know what are the pros and cons of piece rate pay? Well, I'll take that one. So I think the first thing before we ever get into a piece rate pay system is it's not to avoid overtime and it's not to penalize your employees. It's to align your company with the employee and basically reward the employee for working smarter and harder and being more efficient and allow them to literally put more money in their pocket. So if your goal piece rate, I want to say, is to basically hamper the employee and limit their ability to make money, don't do it because those are all, all the wrong reasons and it will destroy your culture. Uh, but one of the benefits of piece rate is it, as long as you're hitting your minimum amount of time, if the guys the guys in the crew want to get out early, that's fine. But what we do in our company is we go out and give them the ability to market and grow density with nine rounds and different things like that in the existing neighborhoods they're in to make more money uh, in the places they're at. So instead of being budgeted for 10 hour a day, um, getting done at eight. So basically if you're budgeted for 10 hours and you get it done in eight hours, we still pay you for 10. Well, these guys and girls go out and market in the old neighborhoods they're already in and add an extra two hours worth of work and still get paid. So I think the, the benefit is you allow the employee or the employee to be basically uh, their own little business owner within yours and have ownership of what they're doing. It, it raises efficiency and quality at the same time. I agree, I'll, I'll just make two points. I think the majority of uh, most, there's just a tremendous number of pros with piecemeal or what piece rate, piece rate, piece rate. Yeah, whatever, so many names for it. Uh, two cons or two negatives. One, uh, it doesn't uh, opt you out of overtime, overtime compliance, all the overtime regulations. So you better be able to prove and uh, the numbers out that the team members are making the prevailing wage or whatever, however, whatever terminology you want to use for this. They're making their base wage plus overtime. It does. It just it adds a level of complexity that you have to play within in terms of filing payroll and, and all of that. Being able to prove if you're ever. Uh, and the second watch out is that, and I'm gonna have to use a, I'm gonna use a lawn mowing example. So if you have a, a Monday route, so imagine you've got a crew that serves, you know, works five days a week and your Monday route's super dense, super efficient, and you've established your uh, piece rate uh, pay scale based on this high level of efficiency. Monday's really efficient, so they hit their targets and their goals. Tuesday is a route that you're building. It's less efficient, less density, it's more spread out. They can't make enough money to be within compliance on overtime and all of the, the laws. And so what you have to do, you have to give them a $50 bonus and say, oh man, I'm sorry, like, yeah, it didn't quite work out because um, 
you know, I understand that my route's not that great, but we're building it's gonna get better, so I'm gonna give you an extra 50 bucks. As soon as you play that game, you have given them an out. You have destroyed the value and the benefits of piece rate. You, because now there's a, there's a uh, lifeline, like there's a way to get bailed out of not performing, and then why are you even in the piece rate game? You might as well just be doing hourly. So that's the complexity is, when is the right time to implement in your business? How do you structure it so that it covers you on very efficient days and inefficient days while you still gain the benefits that come from it? So those are some things to be thinking about. Don't let short of well, what you do it um, at scale. I think it, it's really effective because uh, it's a lot of routine, a lot more empl uh, yeah. better employees for long periods yeah. of time. I totally agree. The other part of the question that y'all didn't answer, do, do you pay by percent or a flat rate? Uh, we pay in the budgeted hours per job. So you have long-term goal for the full day, and then um, in the software that we use, we have uh, budgeted time to each job. So short-term goals that add up to the long-term. So yeah. you pay for each job that do as a set budget. We rate. see it done every, every possible way. Budgeted, um, percentage, established a certain amount of money. Like let's use the lawn example. You know, the foreman gets paid eight bucks for a lawn and each worker on the team or each team member gets paid 675 a lawn. You'll see a lot of individuals that will establish uh, pricing like that. To me, the percentage and the budget pay, those are the easier ways to go about it. Yeah, and just uh, transparency to having a whiteboard or something in the shop, and I would never base it on the hours they work, base it on a percentage, it's a non-emotional number, because crew A is always gonna get more or less hours than crew B, and then you're creating animosity inside the company. So I like to, when we have public accountability, we always base it as a percentage, not 100%. Chris wants to know, if you had it to do over again, would you choose uh, every door direct mail or online marketing? Oh, online marketing. But we also live in a different world than when I started as well. So I started with online marketing in 05, but uh, also did the, uh, there was no every door direct mail back then, so we did our own direct mail. Um, oh, let me rephrase that. If I was starting over, I'd do exactly what I did all over again. I mean, it, it actually worked. So, but it's a whole different world now. Like Facebook, I don't think, Facebook didn't exist when I started the business. Google AdWords existed, but it was like 10 cents a click. I mean, it's a, the world isn't even the same now. So I still think the strategy is the same. You you cast a wide net with uh, digital marketing in your service area. And then as you uh, bring in clients by casting this wide net, you end up on this street and that street. You use offline, EDDM, door hangers, direct mail, whatever. It's going to be building your density. Once to you build your density on the streets. I still think that's the strategy that works. And so, um, yeah, that's so actually I do it. I mean, it, the, the way you play the game has changed in the last 12 years, but the game in my mind is roughly the same. It's digital leads and offline uh, builds the density. Yeah, I think the combination of different mediums and channels, because some people are gonna be able to spend, respond better to the print media they can hold, the digital media, and at craziest sounds, even we mix phone calls in. Yeah. Um, nobody's making phone calls anymore, and two-way texting. So the combination of two or three different medias, because you're gonna hit in different channels at different points. Yeah. Um, one thing we do, kind of not related to this exactly, but if we leave a voicemail, or a, uh, a voicemail, we'll actually shoot an email, like, hey, we just left you a voicemail. Because maybe they're driving down the street, they don't listen to the voicemail, but when they check their phone, they've got the notification that, hey, somebody just left you the voicemail on both fronts. So if we can hit them in different channels, it seems to be more effective. Yeah. And I agree 100% that digital net, uh, Facebook, Google AdWords, to build the overall and then to build the density is more for the paper or the hard mail. Yeah. And I'll add to one, one last thing, kind of piggybacks on what Mike said. You know, if you're really moving fast, so if you sort of solved your, well, nobody solves it, but if you, if you're, if you're recruiting, you've got some form of a recruiting engine to bring in a lot of team members. So meaning that you can handle a lot of new work. 
uh, there will come a point if you uh, shrunk your market down to a certain size where it's not too large, there will, come a, there will come a point where you can't buy enough traffic, be it Facebook traffic, pay-per-click traffic, or just organic traffic that you're naturally gaining. There will become a point where you just can't buy any more traffic, and so you sort of hit a wall on how fast you can grow, meaning how fast you can acquire new clients and, or leads and convert them into clients. And then when you hit that point, the only way you can grow faster is to start getting more aggressive in going and getting the client. So digital is the process of um, putting your name and your teaching or whatever out into the marketplace and waiting for the leads to come with you, to you. And eventually you'll saturate that in our businesses if you're going really fast. And then you have to go get the client. You gotta go outbound. You gotta call them, telemarketing, you gotta do door hangers, you gotta do all these outbound methods. Otherwise your, your company will hit a wall. And, um, and so you gotta think about that as well to, in, in answering this question. And if you're, diving into, you in. if you're diving into Facebook, uh, especially a lot of the changes just happen, I won't dive into it, but you gotta have a high relevancy and you've gotta be engaged with the consumer. Um, so if you're hitting them more frequent, more frequent than you should be, you're gonna start getting penalized. So you've gotta be aware of how many times you hit them with the digital so you can reinforce the digital with the offline. Um, I think it'd be a good combination, but if we're not watching with the new changes with Facebook and the different online things, we can actually, if we market too much, we can almost hurt ourselves if we have a small market. We're hitting five or six times a week. We've seen that. I might mess this up it's up several parts. These people are in the DFW market, Andrew. He wants to know if you have to hire full-time people instead of H2B, what are some things they can be doing in the wintertime to make money to keep people paid? Great question. If you have the answer, we'd love to know it. Um, what we expanding into other services. I mean, there's in DFW, you can do Christmas lights. Uh, you, you're pruning back perennials. You're uh, pruning your crepe myrtles. You are, you're dealing with your ornamental grasses. You've got leaves in certain markets you know, here in DFW, especially as you move towards Highland Park and Park Cities. Some of those Dallas markets, there's a lot of leaf work to do there. You can be doing some winter land installs. Um, you can expand into pest control, fertilization, weed control. So Dallas supports eight applications, so that gives you uh, basically can keep the spray tech for the most part busy. Irrigation repair really drops off. There's a little bit of irrigation work through the winter, but there, there'd be more on the installation side. Um, but you know, the repair side really falls off. Um, there is no like magic thing because we don't have snow. Um, so, you know, if, and if outside of Christmas lights and the things I just described, we're expanding into service lines outside of what we normally do, for example, pool service, uh, if you're in the pet waste pickup, that's gonna continue 52 weeks. But again, it doesn't always solve the problem because you still will have some, like for example, if you're in pest waste, this is a dilemma. Like I can name all these services, but I can't take a, my, if I have a 52 weeks of pest waste, pet waste pickup, the same guys that were doing it throughout the year are gonna be doing it in the winter. It doesn't solve the problem for the guys that were mowing lawns that now don't have anything. It doesn't solve the problem for the guys that were trimming bushes that now don't have anything. You know, I might be able to transition them to uh, holiday lighting, but even then it's tough because in our market, we run later into the year with mowing and service in the, in the, the bush bed and bush crews are still doing all the perennial work. They're still doing all the pruning. They run right through that whole time period of Christmas lights. So irrigation guys tend to be a bit better to move over into Christmas light work. If you really have that many irrigation guys, the Dallas market, I mean, there's a lot of irrigation work, but. I can sell more, we, I perceive, you can sell a lot more Christmas light work um, than I can sell irrigation work. I don't know, I'm not explaining that very well, but just here's the point. I can name all these other services that you could be doing in the winter months, 
but who exactly is going to do that work? Uh, it's, it, there is, there, most services are, don't have this beautiful transition period of like, hey, we're completely done mowing in October, on October 1, so now we can start moving all the mowing guys over to Christmas lights. It doesn't work like that in our market. So it's, it's one of getting super creative, and part of the solution in my mind is, is uh, thinking about other service lines outside of mowing and bush trimming and things like that. Yeah, we're blessed not to have that situation. One of the uh, couple clients we've worked with. We're blessed because you love snow so much. Absolutely love snow. With the sarcasm, <laughs> obviously. But uh, one thing we did see is a uh, gentleman actually started doing reorganization and shelving units and things like that inside uh, people's garages. Um, so, I mean, it was, he picked the seasonality of it. Um, but that's not a perfect solution. It's, it's, it's a tough, that's a tough thing. Corey wants to know, I just signed up for automations and know nothing about it. Can you give me the ESPN highlight role as to what I should start first? I'll let you answer that and I'll chime in. So he wants to know what, what, what he, he will, first. He, he knows nothing about automations and wants to get started. What, are, what, what should he start first with? Uh, first thing I would do is just get a pad of paper and write down all the repetitive tasks, things you're doing in your business that are mundane and they're repetitive. They're taking away from things you can do in your business and have a better return on investment. So maybe it is signing up renewals, uh, maybe uh, overdue invoices, maybe getting credit cards on file. Any of the things that are taking up your time, your admin's time, that can be easily replicated. Um, so those would be the first things I'd take, I'd take a hand in. Then once you got more time, what are the next things that are on your plate that you can actually go out and replicate and um, do? But automation, that's a really wide open question because just about anything in your business can be automated um, if you basically put some structure to it. Um, outside of actually doing the physical labor in the field. So uh, anywhere from sales and marketing, employee pre-training and onboarding, to just literally equipment asset management reminders. So I mean, it really, it, it, it's, it's open to just about anything. Um, so I guess you gotta see what, what is the most, what's the easiest low-hanging fruit that um, you can replicate and save some money and start taking that time and building uh, the business and working on more strategic things. Yeah, so I think you started at a good spot. And, and, and what Mike said about initially sitting down and thinking about your business, I think one of the hardest things about automations is literally that you, you kind of have to do a little thinking. And, you know, naturally, you might want to just get started with automations and just build something. And while you could just go in there and build something, if you want to, it's really the wrong approach. You want to think a bit strategically. Yeah, you're, so You're not going to build a house without a blueprint. Yeah, so you want to think about, okay, what are some of the pain points I'm having in my business? And also, I think there could be this tendency to say, could I just solve this? Like, you're really good at solving really big problems. Like, you're, you're, the automations you guys have built are really advanced. And yeah, people need six or seven years. Yeah, we started with little bitty, bitty, bitty parts. And yeah. then those itty bitty parts end up working together. Um, it's those little things. And then, yeah, so, so we laid it out on the, the paper and said, hey, what are the, the small little wins we can have? And then as we add them together and combine them, it solves a big problem. And, and that's kind of my point. I, you might hear about some of the things Mike's built. Mike can help you with this stuff, and they're big. And so you might think, I need to go build these really advanced automations and solve these really big problems. But man, you can get some massive wins by just simple things like, it's been six months since you reached out to that lead that never closed. What if you send them a quick seven-word email? Hey, still looking for lawnmower. You know, st simple stuff like that. That is, an, that is a elementary, simple automation that can be worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to you. I mean, I'll just give you a case in point. If a client's worth 2,000 bucks a year, they stay with you four, four years, then your lifetime value on that client's 8,000 bucks. If you just, if one email a year went out, I, I, no, no, if you sent out these emails automated, you never had to touch it, only one converted every year, 
It's a no-brainer. So, so you don't have to overthink this whole automation thing. All you got to do is just think about what are some of the dumb little things in our company that we should be doing or that every year at the beginning of the year we tell ourselves this great story at the company. Hey, this is going to be the year. We're going to we're gonna finally do this thing or implement this thing or stick to it through the spring months when everything is crazy. We're gonna stick with whatever, like following up on estimates and then you don't do it. Those are the things you, you wanna write them down on paper and say, okay, where do we keep failing? Where do we keep getting so busy that we take Susie off this activity and it doesn't happen? Get Build your list. Well, what are the things you don't have time to do? Uh, exactly. One of the biggest things, the first thing we did ever was an automated estimate follow-up. So we knew we were doing 1,100 to 1,200 estimates a month in the spring. There was no physical way that we could follow up with these estimates. We were lucky we got them done. So we created a very simplistic automated uh, estimate follow-up that went through phone calls, emails, and texts. And literally, if you just paid one, one of the cells, it would pay for itself. Yeah. And now you have a systematic way day in and day out to make sure somebody's following through on this estimate. If you don't have the physical time to do it yourself, at least the automation's doing it through an email and a text. Um, and we find that a lot of people nowadays don't want to talk to you on the phone, so they may respond to that text. Um, and do that, but I think that was the biggest return on investment was creating an automated estimate follow up because that gave us more bandwidth to actually get the estimates out. So, um, it's, you know, the little things you're doing in credit, what are the things you don't have time to get to that maybe you can build an automation around? So, it's a two, two pronged approach. Yeah, I agree. So, just start with a list, all those little things, implement the little ones, and get more and more advanced. I mean, that's the way yeah. to approach this. It, it just doesn't take much to get some major wins on this. Yeah, I mean, don't, don't try to build the Taj Mahal because you're not going to build build the foundation and make sure the foundation works and then build upon that. But it's not an overnight thing. Um, but it doesn't have to be. Just one or two things a year, even, and you're good. A follow-up question to that was, uh, what are what are some things that I should watch out for when building my own automations? Hmm. Um, everything. <laughs> Lots of things. <laughs> uh, test, test, test. Yeah. Um, and you, if you're building automations, I don't care the platform. Um, Service Autopilot's got an amazing automation platform that it just built. Um, but we want to test it with a test client outside of that environment. And especially if you're using a really good platform like SA, they're constantly updating. So if you're not testing these automations every week or every few weeks, um, you're going to run the risk of that automation not working the way it originally was set because you're advancing with technology, you're improving the system. So your automations have to be improved and be updated along with the system to work 100%. So um, I think constantly checking the automations you built to make sure they're still working the way they should if there's updates as far as like updates how texting works in there. So if you're relying on a text to go out, make sure it's working the way the system is still operating. So I would also say that um, the way, like there's so many things that we as individuals do when we're doing a process and we're oblivious to the little micro decisions that we're making, the if-else scenarios, if this happens, do this, if this happens, do this, and we're just completely oblivious to the thousands and thousands of micro decisions that are made to determine if we send an estimate, don't send an estimate, send an estimate at 9 a.m., send it at noon, like what it says, like there's so many things that go into creating these estimates. So one of the challenges in automating something is thinking through the steps and what you want to have happen or not happen. And so there could be little mistakes that are made because you didn't fully think through the process and so you end up, like I'll give you a case in point, Let's say you're selling seven services in the, there are seven potential services that you're selling all in the month of March. And if you don't think through things, you may end up marketing seven unique services all to the client at the exact same time on the same week across seven emails or 10 or you know seven unique emails. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but you're like, you're pounding this person marketing all these things. And if you had thought through the process, you would have concluded, you know what, I really, 
only want to be marketing one or two things right now, not all seven things. And not a great example, the, the point I'm trying to make here is that you really got to think about what's going on in the business. And yeah, how, is there a better way to explain that? Basically how it's perceived. Yeah. Like, so the exit's a really good example because we find that we, we're so busy about trying to automate and we're not thinking about, but we're always thinking about the perfect path, but we're not thinking about all the bad things, or not if they're going to happen, when they're going to happen. Conflicts, the conflicts. Yeah. So like, an example, if you're doing employee automation, what happens if they don't show up to the job interview? What happens if you hire them and you have to fire them? Like you hire them and they quit, you end up having to fire them. Most people think we're on a perfect uh, line, but we don't think about all the things along the way. Same thing, we don't think about seven emails that are happening all on the same day. If we mapped it out on the wall, well, if we got seven emails, how do we structure this so we're not being a sleazy salesperson and hitting them with spam, but we're making it a personalized conversation that's meaningful to them. Um, so I think you just gotta really, I think the best thing you do is lay it out on paper see what that workflow looks like, almost like a flow chart, because unless you can visualize it, when it's sitting in that automation canvas, you really conceptually, at least myself, and I've been doing it for six, seven years, you don't see it. Yeah, and all that could sound so intimidating, it's like, ah, oh, why bother? Well, the reason you bother is because if your competitors are doing this stuff, they're gonna eventually eat your lunch down the road. And you, you cannot not be in this game. This is the world we're moving into. And so, it's a, this, is, this is worth doing, and I'll go back to what we said earlier, just start simple. The most elementary of little activities that are automated will save you a lot of money. And then as you become more proficient, you can add additional automation. As you gain confidence and say, like, wow, my gosh, this is life-changing stuff, then you will go to our, the Service Autopilot Marketplace and you'll download for free automations that we've built so you don't even have to imagine them. Or you'll talk to Mike and Mike's team will implement way advanced automations inside your company so you have them today and you don't have to build them and think about them for the next couple months and you just got them and they're working and they've been tested and proven. Like, there's, a, there's, there's so much value here. I, I think the big thing I wanna point out is just don't get intimidated. I think there's this massive risk that a lot of business owners, they, they get excited by all the potential and they see other companies doing so well and, and you hear kind of the secret sauce of how they got there, you know, in terms of they were doing this, this, and this and then when you go to actually do those things, you're like, oh, it's just so much, I can never learn it, it's too much. It, you don't do everything overnight. You like take little baby, it's like we grow a company, it's all about little baby steps. And that's a little bit how automation is. Take a few baby steps, get into it, save some money immediately, get some big wins, and then just over the course of a year, slowly keep implementing more and more, and uh, one day, a year from now, you'll look back and you'll be shocked at just how much you've automated inside your company and how much competitive advantage that is giving you, how much cost efficiency that is giving you as compared to everyone else you're competing with. You, you mentioned it too, Why? well maybe I should wait another year and let, let's see what everybody else is doing. Well, obviously we were kind of bleeding edge of automations in my company upstate New York, but we were doing it five, six years ago, minimal, and the other competitors just thought we were being lucky. And they literally were upset thinking we were knocking on doors behind our competitors, but we weren't, we didn't know who their customers were. We just slowly built little pieces of it and as it started to ramp up, they thought we were getting lucky as so we started doubling in size. Well, no, because the automations have a compounding effect. And at that point, they weren't big automations. They were very simplistic automations, but it's a compounding effect as you continue branding and it happens day in and day out without you having to deal with the babysit your staff. Um, and it just happens without it. It's consistent. Mm -hmm. So you, I think if you're thinking about automations, whether you do it yourself, you some amazing free resources from SA or myself, or um, you do a paid, you know, with another certified advisor that, to you know, have some help with it, go out and at least get your feet wet and start building that foundation because if you wait, eventually it's gonna be way too late because the competitors are gonna have that edge on you. We got five minutes. So yeah, Steve, Steve wants to know, what is the best way to continuously expand your thinking and your vision? Okay, I'll go. Yeah, 
well, I'll lead into it, going to things like SA4, SA5 next year, conferences, networking with individuals in the room, I think being around the kind of individuals, yeah. education. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so what Mike just said, uh, hanging out with people that are not in our industry, whatever industry you're in, we all think that we can't, we can't learn something from somebody that's in, like four lawn care guys, all those cleaning people, they can't help me, or cleaning says those lawn care guys don't have anything for me, or vice, or the lawn care and cleaning people don't think, what can I learn from somebody in the pool business? So we only go to events, we only hang out with people doing our thing, and all the breakthroughs come from swiping ideas from other industries, and swiping ideas from what people are doing outside of our industries, and so you can get those ideas from coming to SA events. You can get those ideas from going to events that have nothing to do with any of us, marketing events. You can get these ideas from reading books. Like You may not know some individual that wrote a book, but they could still sort of be a mentor because you consume all of their books, you consume their blog posts, you watch their videos, and all of that is how you expand your knowledge. And half the game of business is confidence. Confidence comes from experience, and you're gonna get the experience in two ways. One, you either go through it and feel it, or you gain the experience by listening to mentors that have done it before you. And a mentor, again, could be nothing more than some gal or guy that wrote a book and just you know, laid out all the knowledge that they spent learning over 20 years. So it's about showing up at events, it's about joining coaching programs, it's about reading books, it's about showing up at events and networking, not just showing up and sitting in a seat, but walking around talking to people, it's about making friends, trading phone numbers, it's about showing up at your association events, it's about all that stuff. And the, the guys and gals that play that game win. Basically, just out learning your competition. Yeah. And I've learned a lot from the other industries, especially the home cleaning, uh, like the conference that's happened after this with QDS. Yeah. yeah, we're here at a cleaning conference. And it's, it's amazing because they may be doing the same thing uh, that we're doing on the inside of the house, but the way they approach it, if you're always doing what everybody's doing in your market, you don't know what's going on outside. So when I went to my buddy Garrett's market, there were some things that were eye opening that, wow, why are you guys doing this? Well, we don't do it like that in New York, but in Louisiana, we do it this way. And, you know, we saved probably twenty thousand dollars the first hour I was there, inexpensive because the way they did it in his market just made a lot more sense than the way we did it. So you don't know till you get outside of your own little box and see what's out there. Yeah. Uh, Brayden Peterman wants to know what is the biggest business mistake you've made that you wish you would have avoided. The biggest business mistake I made that you wish you would have avoided. You want to come to mind first? Uh, hmm. Yeah, you actually may be able to expand that. Going out and buying a shop and being debt heavy. Um, after the divorce, I ended up having to get rid of about a 30 acre complex with an eight bedroom home that we had for H2B guys at that point. Um, we went back to the mini storage units that we had before, and it literally saved us $30,000, $40,000 in overhead. And we were able to reinvest that in marketing and building the right team. So um, you don't have to have the newest trucks, you don't have the biggest shop. So my biggest mistake, or if I had to do it again, was to stay lean and continue to grow the business through marketing and acquisition um, instead of investing in uh, that shop. That was a big that was a big problem for us for a few years. I honestly don't know. I've made a ton of mistakes though. I've had you know there's been a whole lot of stuff, but the dilemma is it's like we're, we all live by revisionist history. And uh, if I were to go back and say, well, if I hadn't if I had charged credit cards faster, or if I had not partnered with this person, or if I had done this thing or that thing, well. You know, would I be sitting here in the situation I am today? Because it's all worked out pretty freaking well. So some of those mistakes shaped how I got here, just like your mistakes are gonna shape where you end up. And they're gonna, they're gonna prevent you from other massive mistakes down the road. 
Um, so, you know, on one hand, I, I don't know what the one would be, but there's been plenty. Uh, I guess if, you know, if one thing came to mind, I would have gotten focused faster. But then, even so, I just, I've done 500 million things. I could talk to you about 50 different subjects because I've done so many things. But at the same time, that sort of got me here as well. But I will say the magic in my life happened when I got really focused. When I got down to just a couple things in my life, and when we shed all, all the dreams that I had for service all the time, all the things we were going to do, I'm like, nope, not doing that anymore, not doing that anymore. City turf, same thing. Oh, we're not going to be in that business. We're not going to do this thing. We're not going to sell to these people. Like, that's where all the magic is. When I went from being part of four businesses down to being part of two businesses, like all those things made my life better. So on one hand, I'd say getting to focus faster. But on the other hand, I'd say, I don't know, I've learned a lot of stuff along the way. So would I be here if I hadn't done all that? Sometimes stuff? you got to feel those pains because they yeah. develop to where you're going. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, a great answer. Really appreciate the yeah, time, thanks, everybody. Mike. Thank you guys for joining us. Appreciate it. We'll do this again. Don't say anything inappropriate. If you like this show, you might want to check out our resources at www.startsimplegrowth.com. While you're there, enter to win an estimator chatbot. Mike Callahan is available for private coaching.